Okay, hello, welcome to episode 140 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, today will be a solo pod because uh, Fong is away. Um, he's going on another vacation, so um, he will be gone, I believe, for the next week. I should have pulled up the <laughs> Kings' schedule of uh, how many games he's going to end up missing, but uh, for now, you're going to be with me. Okay. Well, I just finished watching the Clippers game uh, at Golden 1 Center. Apparently, the first time the Kings have ever beaten uh, the Clippers at the Golden 1 Center. Surprising to a certain degree. I thought they would have beaten them at some point. It's not like they're... I mean, they haven't been a juggernaut for that long. They've only really been a juggernaut for, what, three? Two seasons, really, because, like, they don't have Kawhi this year. So, it was a surprising stat. Um, anyways, let's uh, get let's get into the game. So Barnes and uh, Harkless were out, out for this game because um, basically the reasoning I read from James Ham was that they since they're the Kings are going to have three days off um, until the next game, which is against Orlando on Wednesday. Is that three? That's like four days. Yeah, four days off before the next game. They're going to basically take this chance to kind of rest their guys a little bit. Or, in this case, let um, Barnes and Moe heal, really, like, you know, rest and heal their injuries before they bring them back. As far as, I, well, as, far as I've read, and as far as uh, James Ham can tell, nothing is severe with these injuries. They're just precautionary. And uh, so they did not play this game. Okay, well, let's actually get, oh, um, Paul George actually did play. He had uh, load management on the last uh, Kings game because, let's be honest, they thought we were going to be an easy game. Turned out not to be one. Well, yeah, it turned out not to be one. And so he did play this game. So let's get into the game. Um, it's the summary of the game. Um, I wrote that it was a very good collective effort from the entire team. No one truly stick. Well, actually, one guy does stick out. But overall, like, it wasn't... You know, one guy dominating the ball and just carrying the team to the finish line. We'll get to the guy who kind of did that, but it was overall a very good team effort. You know, they start out the game by just playing really good defense overall on the Clippers. You know, the Kings don't have any wings with Barnes and Mo out, so they had to actually put De'Aaron Fox on uh, Paul George for much of the game. And Fox did a great job on him. You know, he managed, he basically turned Paul George mostly into a playmaker. Like, Paul George had a good start to the game. I think he hit like two threes, like right off the bat. Let me see what he finished. Yeah, two threes. Uh, he, he ended up finishing with three, but he opened the game with two threes, and that was basically the bright spot for Paul George in terms of scoring. But Fox was able to kind of relegate him for most of the game, for, and also with a lot of team team help, like just relegate him into a playmaker. And then also, the entire team was also able to rebound really well. Like one thing that did stick out to me, a few moments. You know, there were moments where this wasn't the case, but a lot of a lot of the time, like it wasn't just the big men rebounding. Like you you saw Fox get get in there and kind of mix it up a little bit. You saw TD like you know, and late in the game, like, really, like, just yank the ball and secure it, like, you know, there was a concerted effort to actually team rebound, and, you know, it shows up on the box score, too, like, they actually out-rebounded the Clippers, um, four, let me see, 
51 to 47. Not a huge like you know disparity, but with how the Kings have rebounded and in the past, like some of their you know their some of their worst games usually kind of involve some sort of out rebounding, and it was good to see them actually like come together as a team to really get some crucial stops and you know actually be able to secure the ball. Although there were hiccups there. Um, in the first half, the offense was really quick hitting with particularly De'Aaron Fox, like attacking aggressively, like Halliburton, you know, making plays like they were getting they were making stuff happen. And, you know, a lo- you know, good to see Fox being aggressive. And then in the second half, TD basically happened. Terrence Davis, like he really just went off, hit a lot of threes that basically that basically like gave the gave the Kings enough cushion to finally pull it out late. Um, the role players, of course, gave, you know, did their job. It was a really good effort. Like, you had Marvin and uh, and Tristan Thompson coming in to, like, you know, really, do, like, grab rebounds and just cause havoc on that. And Alex Len did his job. Rashawn Holmes did his job. Like, it was just an overall, like, good effort. And, yeah, they gave the team, like, the bench players, like, while they didn't score all that well, gave the team a boost. And... Like it basically carried them to the end of the game. Um, my some I have I wrote it here. Like basically everyone had a good game. Like Alex Len, I know doesn't look pretty, like his stats, but like he did have an effect out there. He wasn't great out there, but like he did do some stuff, like good stuff out there. Well, and Rashawn Holmes had a weird game, only one point. That's actually pretty impressive to a certain degree. But apparently he did get poked in the eye. Apparently uh, again, or like hit in the eye. And he was actually on the bench for a long time, only 27 minutes from this game, which is pretty rare. Like usually it's, you know, 30 plus for the starters. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, it was an overall really good game, kind of an up and down game. Um, the Kings, you know, came out to play and it was finally good to see like <laughs> the Golden One Center. Like they they haven't won much of the Golden One Center, which is really weird. A four and eight home record after this game. Like, and they're, I think they're what? So let me do the math. They would be six and six on the road, which is just weird how they're not playing well at home. But they get this home win, send the send the uh, Kings fans home happy, and you know you hope that they carry this momentum going forward. They will be facing Orlando on Wednesday, and then they will be going on the road. So um, on Friday and Saturday on a back to back in the Charlotte and Cleveland, both you know both good teams, although they have exploitable. Um, weaknesses so we'll see how those games go hopefully you'll probably get fong back by friday i hope i forgot when he said uh he's coming back probably should have been listening <laughs> honestly but you know it, sometimes i just i just forget anyways uh let's kind of just quickly go through some of the players so as i mentioned fox had a really good start to the game attacked with a level of aggressiveness that we just haven't seen all year like getting on the break and just attacking the basket like he didn't i don't think he had he didn't hit any threes this game, but like he was aggressive attacking the rim and, you know, getting to that mid range, like maybe some of the, I think I heard some of the stats I haven't checked, like aren't great, but like, I think that his mid range is a viable option. He had some really nice, like high arcers um, over like Zubach, like this game, like that's a viable weapon. And you know, like the outside shot simply just isn't falling. Like it was really bad this game. And you know, he found enough other ways to affect the game. And the the other way he affected the game was on defense. As I mentioned, he guarded Paul George despite being, what, six, seven inches shorter than him. 
and was able to kind of harass him enough to kind of deter him from attacking as much. And Paul George was kind of just relegated to a, a playmaker. Granted, he ended up with 10 assists, but did have five turnovers. And like, you know, when he caught the ball, he wasn't looking to attack Fox all that much, you know? Uh, granted, it was, it was a lot. A lot of it was also because of that help defense that the Kings were, were giving, which was really good pretty much throughout the game, which was good to see. And yeah, all the kudos in the world to, to Fox to be able to actually guard um, um, Paul George. Like, with how he's been playing lately, this isn't a given for the most part. And like, it's, you know, even though he didn't play that well on offense in the second half, he found a way to affect the game. And that's what I'm asking for, for from a superstar. Like, when your shot just isn't going down, find other ways to attack the rim and or find other ways to affect the game. And he attacked the rim plenty this game. And, you know, like, it's good to see him just, like, finally kind of lock in. And this has the kind of, like, inklings of kind of early, the early season um, team where, like, they were just playing with so much energy. Um, like, it looks like we're kind of getting back to that. And hopefully it's sustainable. Um, Halliburton was also very aggressive as well in the um, first half. Like, you know, made, you know, made shots off the pick and roll. Did not pass it to Rashawn Holmes as much, even though he, he did have passes. But I think what happened was, like, the guys didn't finish it. And Rashawn didn't play as many minutes this game. So maybe that's why, like, you know, he had a weird game where he kind of just didn't, didn't just, just didn't set up guys as much as he used to, as much as he usually does, I mean. But he's definitely been told to just be more aggressive in terms of scoring. Like, he took a number, like, he took eight threes this game, which is actually pretty rare for him. He ended up making four, and all of them were crucial. And... Yeah, he needs to be able to score a little bit more just to put a little bit more pressure on the defense and, you know, take the load off of De'Aaron Fox to a certain extent to, you know, have to be, you know, the last year's Fox, if you will. Like, you know, um, he just seems to, you know, the Halliburton needs to be able to find a way to kind of balance it out. And in this game, like he was, he was, I thought he did a pretty good job. Although with the kind of increased aggressiveness, he did have five turnovers. Although I will defend him and say two of those were the weird push-off fouls where like, so the rule is that you can't cut, use your, basically you can't bump into the guy to cut him off anymore. And like, he tried to do that and it just didn't. And the ref called a foul. Like it was really weird. He did it twice. And what, the other one was kind of a push-off, but it wasn't really one. Like, he extended the form a little bit, but I didn't think it was a push-off. So, like, two of those turnovers were just weird calls, to say the least. Scott Foster was a, was uh, officiating this game. So, yeah, usually a suspect um, when you wanted to complain about the refing. Um, but overall, I think, he did, I think he did well. Although, like, would like to see him find a way to also, like, you know, maintain his playmaking in terms of setting, particularly Rashawn up like and uh yeah we'll see if he's able to kind of figure that part out like he can he can definitely score and he definitely should score a little bit more but he's gotta you know make more plays although i think he did a pretty good job this game um quick shout out to chemezi metz who had five blocks which is wow <laughs> i didn't even realize he had that many blocks but like he had a, n a number of just really good help side um blocks like yeah he also had like two blocks on paul george that were pretty impressive like where you know he took the contact to the chest and basically got a hand in there to kind of just like tip the ball and also like yeah helps side defense he had one pretty brutal block on Ibaka on a post up like coming over from the weak side like 
you know, he's going to be up and down in terms of offense, but you can always rely on him for some good energy. And, like, he also really had some really nice snatch rebounds where, like, you know, contested rebound, and he really, like, went for those rebounds. And the Kings need that. And Metsu, like, again, an up-and-down player for the most part on offense, but, like, and not a great defender by any means, but you can always count on him to, you know, play with that level of energy that you just don't see that often. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he's he's a guy I always mention, just like Damian Jones, cherishes the minutes that he can get. And, of course, he's starting. And, you know, but, like, he's not taking it for granted. It hasn't, like, made him more... I don't want to say entitled, but, like, he's definitely still keeping up his level of aggressiveness and just energy. And, you know, the team, need, the team needs that kind of energy. Um, Bagley had one... Like, Bagley had a really good game. Like, he had been cut out because of, like... Illness. They had they didn't specify what kind of illness, but it was non-COVID related. Was what they told, and you know he came back. And overall, I thought he had a good game. Like again, just didn't force anything. Just played his role as a big man. Although I will say some of his passes, like were just it always. I always have like a, a mini heart attack every time he passes the ball because like the Kings run dribble uh, dribble pitches a lot, and like they basically will. There basically is one option to, to pass in these kinds of sets. And, like, he kind of flings it a little bit. And, like, the, the defender is, uh, a lot of times, is dangerously close to getting a hand on the ball. And it's... I wish he would just, like, be a little bit more secure with that. He'll, he'll probably learn it with more experience, you know, if he stays on this team. But, like, it's... Some of the times, like, it's just... Uh, just I don't... I always get nervous when he passes. But... He had a very good rebounding game. He gobbled up. I think he had a, about like 10, almost 10 rebounds, I think, in just in the um, first quarter. Just gobbled up rebounds. And again, just played his role out there. And also, really like good defense um, for a few possessions. Like, granted, it is Eric Bledsoe. And not to shade Eric Bledsoe as much, but like, he, Marvin guarded Eric Bledsoe really well at the rim. Like, you know, he was, you know, backing up, jumping straight up, you know, with his arms up to pressure the shot. And with Davion kind of pressuring him, like, and kind of forcing him into Marvin, like, Marvin did a good job on, like, a number, like, I want to say two possessions. It might have been more. But, like, he did a pretty decent job protecting the rim while he was out there. I think Alex Lem was out there with him, too. But, like, he held his own on that end. So, yeah. He seems to be, like, you know, finally kind of showing some progress here. And, you know, like, again, if he stays on this team, like, there's a role for him here. And, you know, Alvin seems to have kind of, like, unlocked him a little bit more. Like, Luke had a very short leash with him, but Alvin's kind of letting him kind of play and just kind of figure it out. And he seems to be, you know, starting to get it. Um, I will say, he did have, again, I said something about heart attacks every time he passes the ball. He had this weird ass turnover. So he grabs the he grabs the rebound and is actually trying to look for someone, but no one was available. So he starts dribbling up the ball. Terrence Mann does foul him from behind, like I feel a number of times by bumping into him constantly. And it seemed to fluster him a little bit. And then he just throws the ball to Luke Kennard for no reason. And it was just one of those things where he needs to just be better at passing. I don't know how he improves it, but like you know, be better with his handle and just better passing decisions. Cause my God, like some of those passes were just, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you know, Davion, his usual self, only had two points, and I believe it was a fast break layup from uh, Buddy. And you know, 
every every game he's going to go out there and play some damn good defense and he plays some damn good defense on on Eric Bledsoe just made him really basically flustering him and kind of like egging him into attacking the rim and again as I mentioned like just kind of forcing him into badly and just forcing him to make bad decisions basically like what did Eric Bledsoe end up with Eric Bledsoe ended up with I thought he had more turnovers it was over seven though like but yeah Davion definitely had an effect on him and he did a good job on like Reggie Jackson like when he was on him and he also had some good possessions on Paul George as long as Paul George didn't post him up like anywhere near the mid post he was really good on him even when like Davion has an incredible ability like despite you know being six six one or six two like when when uh, perimeter players drive at him like they are usually like forced like they're basic they basically end up forcing it um and like end up just just missing the layup like and a lot of it is the pressure that Davion puts on the ball handler and he's he's had a number of these already and like he had one uh, particular possession where Paul George drives at him forces a basically just you know tries the big boy uh, Davion and just blows the layup and a lot of that has to do with the pressure that Davion can put on the ball handler because yeah so all the kudos in the world to him he probably is legitimately one of the best on ball defenders like in the league now granted I don't think he's winning any awards anytime soon just because the team defense is pretty bad but like I feel he's gonna he's gonna be like recognized sooner or later um let's see Tr- Tristan Thompson uh made a rather rare apparent appearance um because i i think it was, uh, i think as i mentioned i think Rashad had got hit in the eye and just couldn't play extended minutes like he came in he had two buckets and like just gobbled up so many rebounds like he, i think so he had so let's see he had two offensive rebounds and like when he wasn't grabbing rebounds like he was in there with bagley anytime they were in there to like during that stretch they, it felt like they literally grabbed either every rebound or they would draw a foul on the rebound. Like, he ended up getting four free throws in nine minutes. Like, that's how aggressive he was. And just, yeah, he was out there, you know, making making a difference. And he, him, him, Bagley, and Buddy, like, it's a weird combination, but they actually led the Kings on a run um, that um, got the lead to 14, like, early in the fourth. And, you know... Again, it's it's about every role player just playing their role and just doing their thing, and that's what the Kings kind of need. They need they just need like guys to just play their role, and you know, Buddy Bagley and uh, Tristan Thompson, like they're doing a great job of that. Um, let's move on to Buddy. Like Buddy's uh, minutes have actually gone down significantly. He only played twenty minutes this game, uh, was two for six, but one for five. But I didn't think he played bad. Like he had he had a he had a um. In the fourth, so uh, I forgot when. Okay, we'll talk about the first steal. So he had ended up with, uh, let's see, two steal and a block. He had a block on Luke Kennard in the first quarter, um, and then he had. I forgot. I think it was the second quarter or the third quarter. But like he checks in, Isaiah Hardenstein, like dribbles near him, and then he just grabs the ball. And then late in the like early in the fourth, like uh, I forgot who Marcus Morris was posting. It might have been Halliburton or Fox. He posts. He tries to post him up, but he sneaks him from behind and gets the steal beautifully. And it, that basically sparked the run that got the lead to 14. And it was incredible just to see him out there playing defense 
and just you know sparking a run and it wasn't because of his scoring and you know because he's playing just less minutes he's not like just forcing he's not forcing as much like especially the bad buddy shots although uh, we'll get into kind of what has been replaced by by td like he's not forcing the bad buddy shots and like when he doesn't have it he's more than willing he's more willing to actually pass it on and just get the ball moving and you know it's, it's good to not to see him not have to dribble the ball as much and yeah like it's this seems to be a good version of like a more reserved version of buddy someone i felt someone definitely told him to just dial back the aggressiveness and again like that laker shot that 27 footer like that he took that should have got him benched and i imagine someone afterwards told him that and like he just kind of calmed it down and it's good to see that um what's well, all right let, let's talk about tv so TD overall had a great game. He's basically the reason why the Kings won this game. Um, like during like when things got bad in the fourth, like he was there to you know hit a three, to hit like two more threes to kind of kind of seal the game and give the Kings a good enough cushion for them to start go to kind of like basically to um, hold on to the win. But in the third, he caught fire and that he that was basically when the when the kings were starting to get a little separation and you know all the credit in the world for him to do that but like in between he has some frustrating plays where he definitely like as fong acquainted he has the bunny mentality he will attack and he is fearless about like about like what kind of shot he's gonna take there's a there's gonna be a, that we got to come up with probably a name for this other than just bad TV. But there was like a like I want to say I remember I remember one specifically, but like there might have been more. But there are times where he will just dribble the ball the entire possession, dribble dribble dribble, and then takes a step back three. I hate those possessions. It's almost worse than what anything Buddy Buddy does, and like it's just those are the kinds of possessions I absolutely hate. And then you know, this game he was—he also attacked the rim. Like I, I wish he would, he would actually attack the rim a little bit more. But in this game, his his three pointer was going down. So I don't blame him for kind of you know taking the shots he did. But like he does, he is a little frustrating to watch sometimes. And like he's good at going to the rim. Go go to the rim a little bit more. Like you know, don't always settle for the three. And you know, of course, again, he is the guy that saved us. Like you know, hit all those threes to give the Kings enough cushion to find, hold on to the game. But he does need to dial back the aggressiveness a little bit, and of, of course, like stop the kind of dribble, dribble, dribble shot. Like it's it, it was when the worst versions of um, Bogey when he was still here, like where he would just constantly dribble, not be really be able to get by the guy, and then just settle for a three. But in this case, like Terrence Davis can get by guys. He's got he's got a little bit of burst to him, and you know, like it, I just wish he would dial back on some of the bad plays that he makes. Um, okay, um, one more thing to mention about the Kings is the Kings need to figure out how to um, close out games because you know the biggest negative of this game was they were up fourteen with seven twenty three to go. Again, that that run kind of keyed by Buddy Heal of all people on defense too, like basically gave him a fourteen point cushion and. But the Kings have just, they just always do this. Like, it's just, they, it's not even they take bad shots, but like, they just, they, you know, put, they let their foot off the gas pedal and just, 
you know, I don't even know how to explain it. They just, you know, dial back the aggressiveness. They start missing shots. And then on on the defense, they play decent enough defense, but usually it's just not good enough. And either the guy hits a tough shot over them or, like, they score, like, at at the end of a shot clock on a a crucial stop that the uh, kids need. They need to find a way to better close out these games. Like, I guess, like, they, well, and the ball needs to be in De'Aaron or Tyrese's hands, and they need to be able to figure out how to, how to get to their spot. Like, that would be, I don't know how they solve it, but that would be, like, that, I think that's where it would start, let's just say. I don't know how they would solve it. But that's something they definitely need to figure out. And then on, and yeah, they, they were up 14 with 7.23 to go, and by 2.57, it was a three-point game. And luckily, again, TD was there to kind of um, basically hit enough shots to, to, for the Kings to, again, hold on. But, like, in, in a game where TD doesn't go off, this very likely is a loss. And it's just one of those things the Kings need to figure out. Or one of these days, they will absolutely blow a game in the clutch uh, because of it. And, you know, we've seen them, like, blow games. Like, they blew the Laker game, a lot of it, because of this. Because they weren't hitting shots, and then it affects the defensive end. They need to figure out a way to, I guess, be mentally stronger. And I, I don't know where to start. But, again, I think... I think I don't know the, what the, the overall solution is, but I think a good place to start is to... Get, always be able to find a way to get the ball into De'Aaron's hands and Tyrese's hands, and they need to find a way to get to their spot. The next, the final thing I want to quickly talk about uh, about this game is uh, Kings need to figure out how to attack a zone. Like, it, there were two moments where, like, I don't, well, not two moments, but like, there were instances where the Kings could have actually gotten more separation and, if, if anything, like, even ended the game early. But like, the Clippers went to a zone and Granted, but part of it is the personnel. They don't really have the zone breaker, you know, a guy to flash the free throw line and, you know, send a cutter. Like, they don't have that high post guy to, you know, maybe Harry, G- Harry Giles would be, <laughs> would be great in this position. But we don't have Harry Giles anymore. So, I, I don't know who it would be. Like, maybe probably Rashawn or, like, hell, get Halliburton in the high post somehow. I don't know how that would work, but, like... You know, it's just, they need to figure out a way to attack the zone because it's been too often, I feel like, they just get stymied by the zone defense. Like, you know, um, Toronto, although I can't be sure if they ran zone, but but they had just so much length and just, like, the way they kind of defended felt like a zone. Like, they did not know how to attack it. And, you know, everything just kind of, like, everything just kind of comes to a halt for the Kings when the other team goes to a zone. And they need to figure out a way to attack it because it seems to be their Achilles heel right now. And, you know, more teams are going to figure this out. And, like, it, it's going to lead to some pretty ugly basketball if they can't figure it out. So that's what I really want to see, like, going forward. And, you know, like, we'll, we'll see what they do against Orlando. But there is a, like, there's there's stuff they can work on. And, you know, it's good to see them, you know, come out strong again um, to, be, to be able to beat the Clippers and not, like, you know, not be taken advantage of i guess like because the kings have a pretty bad track record i feel of like facing teams on the second night of a back-to-back like clippers beat the lakers last night in a pretty intense game <laughs> like they told like the ace i mean, I mean the the kings could, totally could have came in and just you know just came out flat and just blew this game like i would have i would not have been surprised but they stay strong td has found his rhythm and let's see if this stuff keeps up I'm still not totally ready to believe yet. And if they blow the game against Orlando, you know, here we go again, basically. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things where you just, 
they've done so much to us that they they have they don't have any goodwill from us anymore. Like they have to earn it, and you know, we'll just we'll have to keep seeing like how they handle these things going forward. Moving on to, um, this is a working title for this segment. I'm gonna call it Raven's Call. Um, why am I calling it that? Because I just watched Game of Thrones. Um, as you guys, as I have, if for loyal listeners, you guys will have known that I've been watching Game of Thrones. I have finished it. Yes, I had a, a short little review of it. Um, but not gonna go into that too much. But um, one big thing about uh, Game of Thrones is that there's ravens, and that's basically how um, how basically the story that that universe communicates through long distances through raven through ravens. I don't fully understand it. I'm just you know, it, it, it seems it, I don't I don't really get the whole ravens thing, but that's how they communicated. And one of the things I always like to do just kind of listen to news around the realm. Um, I like to say, like, listen to news around the league, um, is that, is through podcasting. And, you know, I just want, I want to create this new segment. I mean, I've done like draft versions of this and other podcasts or yeah, other podcast episodes. Um, so this is kind of, um, it's going to be a new thing. Um, going to be an official thing. It's going to be Raven's Call, where I basically go through my week of listening to podcasts and you know if there's anything interesting i want to discuss i will bring it up here in this segment so um what so what's on i guess the agenda uh, for this week or this episode specifically so um interesting thing i heard from um tom Havershaw's podcast this week uh, it's called the haver show um with amin el hassan i know he's not popular around sack know like him or hate him he makes good points um he I, and i will be the first to admit he's he's, a, he's quite an asshole <laughs> so you know I, i'm not the biggest fan of him to, anyways but like he he makes good points and i usually respect his opinion his basketball opinion enough like you know he is a smart guy in that regard so um they had sam amick on and the interesting thing, like, Amina Hassan basically asked a, a very interesting question about, you know, Joe Dumars and what his role is in the front office. And I thought that Sam Amick was, had a very interesting answer. He basically says that Joe Dumars is essentially the Jerry West um, of the Kings right now. Now, if you guys didn't know, Jerry West, like, for the Warriors and the Clippers, is kind of you know in modern times like the, what he's most well known for. He was a, I believe he was a GM for the Lakers at one point because he famously drafted Kobe. Um, but like in modern times, like what I'm familiar with, you know, he was a big component in the, the Warriors dynasty and kind of keeping Klay Thompson um, on that roster. You know, they were about to train for Kevin Love, and then for the Clippers. Um, Although I can't really name anything specific from the Clippers, but the Clippers, like they hired a good advice, they hired good advisors, and Jerry West was one of them. So basically, he doesn't hold an official position per se, but like he he holds a position as an advisor. And Joe Dumars, like he's kind of been a bit in the shadows. It's not been clear, like for the most part, what his role is. 
but it's always been kind of speculated he's in the Vex ear. And with Sam Amiga essentially com- kind of confirming this, he's basically, you know, a high-level advisor to Vivek. We kind of knew this to a certain degree, but I didn't know it was, like, I guess that deep, if, if you will. Um, it, so, yeah, he basically plays the, um, the Jerry West role for the Kings, and he, and yeah, he basically is um, the owner, in this case, Vivek's right-hand man, if you will. Um, which I thought was very interesting. I thought it's uh, it's a it's a bit of a revelation to me, just because there's there hasn't been really any specifics, if you will, on how the front office works. We've all assumed that Monty McNair is the guy that runs the front office there, but it we've always kind of had some inklings of some weirdness going on in the front office, and we kind of and like let, let's talk about it now, like. The um, decision to keep to um, promote, I guess, Alvin Gentry to the interim head coach. Like I had, I had heard that you know from podcasts, and I'd said it on this podcast. Like, you know, the conversation was that, or basically the the front office, which actually includes Joe Dumars, um, um, wanted wanted Alvin Gentry as the interim as the interim head coach. There was some debate on whether to make him um, just straight up head coach or the interim head coach. But then the ownership was the side that pushed for Doug Christie. And, you know, um, Sam speculates, like, maybe it was a bargaining chip, if you will. Like, in a way to basically use it as leverage to, um, to negotiate with Alvin if he wasn't willing to take the job. That they were just going to promote Doug Christie. But, like, it's a, it, they do bring up, like... Amin brings up good points in that it's still concerning that the ownership still wants to do this, like basically get it involved as much as they do. Now, of course, the result was the I think the right result. Like you don't want to throw Doug into this when he doesn't really have that much experience running a team, running as a head coach. And you know, James Ham brought it up, and you know, Amin and those guys they know what they're talking about. Like you don't want to throw a throw a guy with no experience into the fold. To essentially let him get eaten by the wolves like you know Doug doesn't know Doug like has a knowledge of coaching but does he have you know you know knowledge and experience of running a practice you know you know handling media I guess well he, he'll, he'll be able to handle media but like the little intricacies that maybe that maybe we don't see behind the scenes like Doug probably more or less would not be completely ready for that and promoting Alvin was the right choice because he is he has been in the most interim head job head coaching jobs or yeah interim head coaching jobs like in history I believe and yeah and, and he's been in the league for like a good 30 years at this point so you talk about experience he's got all the experience so even if you do even if the ultimate result is Doug getting the job like you might want to like you know take some time to kind of groom him for for that job and let him get some experience before that before any of that happens and you know it's it's still concerning that Vivek still is in that mind after the whole Vlade fiasco um you know and mean brought it up like you know you like just he still has he still seems to have not learned from that lesson like don't throw a guy who has no experience who has a name but no experience in, in the profession that he's working at into the fold like it, it usually doesn't end well and they brought up the name like you know maybe like it's like a steve kerr type situation sure but that's the exception 
usually it's it's not the rule. <laughs> like you know, um, who's a good example? Like, I, well, like the guys I'm thinking of, of course, came from college basketball and Jim Bay. Was it Jim Bayheim or John Beeline? I, I, the one, the one that coached the Cavs for one year and basically was the the old team hated him. Um, and uh, Fred Hoiberg, like that, it just doesn't always work out that way. You know, can he, could Doug Christie be that guy? Maybe, but is it a good idea to take that chance? Probably not when you really do need some stability. And like, let's, you know, worst case scenario, it goes bad. They fire Doug and, you know, I doubt he becomes a pariah just because he's such a great guy for the most part. And, you know, he's been, you know, he's been in the Kings community for so long, but like same thing with Vlade. It's like, you know, a good portion of the fan base still doesn't like Vlade for all the mistakes he made during his time. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to end up like, you know, having the, I guess not hate Doug, but like to see him go down that, that road if, if he's not successful. But yeah, it's good that I guess uh, reason and logic kind of went out instead of emotional decision making um, from the ownership group. But it, it is concerning to see that's still in that's still in play. Um, you know, I hope it doesn't have to come to this, but like, it, you know, it might have to come to an ownership change for there to be actual change. Like at this point, you know, this is not this is not fun to think about. <laughs> um, another interesting tidbit that, well, at least I didn't know about this, but. Like, during the um, GM search, um, remember a certain amount of guys dropped out. The primary one was uh, Sashi Gupta, like, late in the process. I forgot there was another guy that dropped out really early in the process. And one of the reasons why is because there was talk about, you know, why wasn't Joe... Because Joe Dumars was kind of... He didn't have a position at, the po- at that point, but what he... But it was clear that he was going to be in part of the Sacramento situation but the but the uh position was very mysterious if you will you know if you will a bit shady honestly like there was even speculation that he was going to take over the job and apparently Joe did want to take the job I honestly didn't know this at the time or I, I didn't know until like I heard it on the podcast but he wanted the job but Apparently, the reason why they ended up going the other way with it was because of the fan, the, I guess the fan reaction was kind of how Sam put it, how the negative reaction that came out of it. And apparently, then they decided to, or Vivek apparently decided that Joe wasn't going to be the GM and that they were going to do a full search. And that is the weird, like, it's another really weird thing that I don't really like about Vivek like if he's gonna actually care about what the fan base thinks and you know we have a great fan base and like there are plenty of smart people in the king's fan base that you know have great ideas but like most of it is pretty most of you know the fan base like just like any fan base really they spout some weird shit every now and then and honestly to a certain degree stupid shit and it's just not good to gauge your decision use that to actually like influence any decision that you make now of course and then i think working for the better just because like i think monty mcnair can be a terrific um gm a president of basketball operations time will tell and maybe like this is one of those cases where like you have a, a number of voices in the room and it's not it's not a bad thing i think because the the amount like as 
as long as Vivek and his close confidants, I'm using air quotes, like close confidants, like don't, who don't, who are not, like, who are not basketball people, as long as they don't get, like, overly involved in the discussion and overly uh, involved in the decision making and just let the basketball people, that includes Joe Dumars, Wes Wilcox, and uh, Monty McNair, do their thing. Like, I think that could work, but it, again, it's a bit concerning if the dub if the dub thing wasn't just a leverage thing, and they were actually go- going to go through with Doug as the head coach. Like, it's not a great sign, and hopefully, like, it, hopefully, like, you know, they the ownership just doesn't get in the way because they have a history of just not understanding that they just like let the basketball people do the basketball things and just take the step back. And, you know, if, if the room, if like, you know, the, if the worst case scenario is true, like ownership is constantly getting involved and just, you know, front office, like is almost just the pup, just a puppet to a certain degree. Like this franchise will have no hope going forward. Like it almost doesn't matter what they do because the, the ownership group just Bad, there, it is very hard to overcome bad ownership unless you draft a guy like Luka, which we didn't do, unless you get LeBron James, unless you get a guy like um, Michael Jordan. Like, it's you can't really overcome bad ownership. And if you do overcome it, it is a very short term thing because they cannot help themselves but shoot themselves in the foot at some point. So, I hope that's not the case. Um, you know, and I hope that there maybe. The Alvin Gentry thing is a step in the right direction where the GMs, the people who knew basketball, got their way. And uh, that, like, hopefully that is a good sign going forward because we we can talk about these little things that the GM, like these little things, specks of hope that like, you know, might be good things. Like we have a, like Monty McNair has the right idea with a lot of his trades. Like Joe Dumar seems to be a good influence. Like these are individual things, but if the sum... But if the entire structure and foundation of the King's organization is shit, and if Vivek is constantly getting involved, it will be shit. Like this, there is no way to really get out of this rut unless, again, you draft a generational player, and those don't come along much. much. So, you know, and I, I hope I hope it's the I hope it's the other like the other. Um, I hope it's the former. Like the GMs have a lot have are able to do their thing and you know ultimately make the decisions and or not make decisions but like they they present their case to Vivek and Vivek goes along with it otherwise uh yeah it's gonna be bad and it's gonna continue being bad but let's hope that it is the former and that that there is hope for this franchise after all and we don't have to talk about Vivek having to sell the team because that that's a that's a that's a tricky situation and uh I don't know if I, I want to go through that. Okay, well that was a long rant. Um, anyways, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this um, this <laughs> first official Ravens call segment. Uh, there will be coming more. Um, depends on. I won't have it every episode, but like you know, probably probably hopefully once a week. Just like to gather all the information from all the podcasts I listen to, anything I find interesting relating to the Kings, or maybe maybe not even related relating to the Kings. I had a, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Michael Porter Jr., but kind of just never finished that thought. So it's just not, so I'm not going to really talk about it much. Um, 
but like you know just random comp just random uh, topics to talk about like just to you know for your listening pleasures um you know there are there are other things happening outside of just what happens on the court for the sacramento kings that you know i always do want to talk about like i love talking about basketball so you know it's just a little extra something if you enjoy it thank um thank you for listening if you don't no, that's too bad. Um, you feel free to you know listen to the next episode because we will always recap the games. But you know sometimes there might be a little something extra. Okay, well um, again, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, we I will be back um, after the Orlando Magic game and hopefully by the um, Charlotte game. Fong will be back again. I, I forgot what he told me. So yeah. Um, Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I'll catch you guys on the next episode.